0: Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Let me begin reading in verse 3. and I'll read down to verse 6 this morning. It says, For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." Brother, when we talk about faith, a major part of what we mean by that is the word trust. Or another way to put it is the word confidence. That is, if if I say to you that I have faith in you, I am saying that I have confidence in you. I have a trust in you. And when it comes to our salvation... The question is, who or what is a person trusting in? Who or what is a person placing their confidence so that God will accept them, God will forgive them? And in reality, beloved, in the world in which we live, there are two options that are generally put forward. And only one of those options is right. The first option that is out there is somehow in some way your acceptance with God a person's acceptance with God and forgiveness of their sins and having a right standing with God somehow in some way must include something that person does they must make some type of contribution to their acceptance with God The other option that is presented is the true option, the one that is right, and that is, it says, it is all God. It is all of Jesus Christ. It involves none of what a person may do. They contribute nothing in regards to their salvation. What we've been able to touch on here in this passage... As we were looking at verse 3 last time together, we saw at the very end there where the Apostle Paul says that the true believer puts no confidence in the flesh. Absolutely none. That instead, that person is going to put all of their confidence, all of their trust, all of their faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And again, remember, why is it that Paul's having to do this? He's having to do it as a safeguard, a protection for the church here at Philippi because he knows there are some people that are on the scene that are teaching something that is very close to true Christianity. In a lot of ways, what they're teaching is true. Remember, their teaching about Jesus, the person of Jesus, is spot on. They are teaching that Jesus was fully God and fully man. They were teaching he was the son of God. They would teach he was the son of man. They would teach that he was full deity, full humanity. They would teach that Jesus went to the cross without sin and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They would teach that he was raised from the dead on the third day. They would even teach, beloved, that you had to put faith in Jesus, but they would say that's not enough. They would say you also have to do some other things in order for the benefits and the blessings of what Jesus did to come to you. You also had to be circumcised and you also had to try to follow the law of Moses. And what Paul was saying is, though, this sounds so close and it's just almost there. He's trying to warn them. But that's not true Christianity. Christianity. When someone goes beyond that. And one of the things he's trying to help them to see here, when he says that the true believer there in verse 3, who's part of the true circumcision, they put no confidence in the flesh. That is, they put no confidence in anything that was done for them or that they did themselves. In regards to God somehow accepting that as a part of the contribution For their salvation. So Paul goes into more details about this. Because if there was anyone who would have had an argument. An argument to say, I have some things that I can be trusting in. That somehow contribute to my acceptance with God. It would have been the Apostle Paul. Especially, beloved, when you remember the group of people that are coming and teaching and distorting the gospel of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Remember, it's the Judaizer. These are Jewish people that are coming on the scene and what they were, they were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved as well. And so Paul is approaching them And he's letting them know and letting the church at Philippi know that if any Jew had any right to any argument to say that I am accepted by God based on some things that I do in my life or that were done for me in my life, I more than any of these people that'll show up in what they teach. I have more things to my credit than any of them. And so when Paul gives us this list, beginning In verse 5, we can take that list and we can apply it to our own life and our own situation in the day in which we live. Because Paul says, although I might myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. So what are the things that Paul is going to mention here? Well... What Paul's going to drive home for them as we look at the rest there in verse 5 and verse 6, it's what he's teaching them and he's teaching us today, is that salvation doesn't come to anyone because of any of the following things in their life. So as we look at these together, if, if you're here today and you're depending on any of these things in any way, for your justification with God, for God to declare you right with Him. If you're depending on any of these things, please understand, you need to repent of that and put your faith fully, solely, only in Jesus Christ alone. That's what Paul did. So what are the things? The first thing, let's look at verse 5. Salvation doesn't come to anyone because of their Rearing—that is, because of their upbringing, because of the way that they are raised. Blooded. When you really look at the first three, I want you to notice something about the first three: circumcised the eighth day. He's of the nation of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. When you read through those three, first thing that ought to hit you about that is Paul had absolutely nothing to do with those three. Paul had no control over whether or not when he was eight, years, eight days old whether or not he was going to be circumcised. Paul had no control over whether or not he was going to be born of the nation of Israel. Paul had no control over whether or not as being born in the nation of Israel he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He has no say so in that. But yet, what he's telling you here is, is that these were some of the things that he was actually relying on before he was truly saved, whereby he thought that because of these things in his life, that God was accepting him. And the first one there is about his upbringing, when he says he was circumcised on the eighth day, because clearly, Paul, it says, here was an eighth or that is, he was circumcised on the eighth day, and yet he had nothing to do with that. That was because of his parents. That was because of his rearing, because of his upbringing. Yes, beloved, they were actually following what God's word said. Paul should have been circumcised on the eighth day. As a Jewish man, he should have been circumcised according to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 17, whenever God instituted the the, the institution of circumcision, we see that with Abraham with his children. Yes, that was a part of the covenant that God made with them. Paul should have been circumcised. But that circumcision, even back then, and even for Paul, had nothing to do whatsoever with their spiritual standing with God. But Paul's parents, in fact, we'll probably see here in just a little bit when we look over in the book of Acts, that Paul even mentions that he was the son of a Pharisee. So Paul grew up in a home that was trying to follow what the Bible taught. Now sadly, it was a home that was misguided. Because they had began to think that just because they were of the nation of Israel, because they were of the tribe of Benjamin, because they had followed the law and were circumcised on the eighth day, that somehow this was contributing to God accepting them and forgiving them of their sins. He was raised in a home that was very strict. But yet, beloved Paul took this and he used it as a credit. He used it as somehow God gave him credit because of that. And today, beloved, even this idea of circumcision as we talked about, some are baptized as infants as a sign of becoming a part of the covenant people. Some are baptized as infants today In churches, as a way of thinking it somehow washes away the original sin that that child is born with and fuses them with grace. Though we don't practice either one of those things as a church. But even for us today, and some things that we would practice if we have a a, a recognition of, of babies and parent dedications that take place, beloved. Understand, none of those things whatsoever have any bearing on whether or not that child will be accepted by God. Now, we know from God's Word that we as parents are charged with the responsibility of raising up our children in the truth. God's Word explicitly says that as parents we are to To bring them up in the the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We do that in our home. We do that in having them in the church to hear God's word. But beloved, that still doesn't mean that somehow that makes them more savable. Or that makes them more acceptable to God. It, it, It doesn't. It doesn't make them more worthy of salvation. It was interesting, just a week or so ago when we had vacation Bible school, I was sitting in one of the, the one of the classes one day and uh, Miss Michelle was teaching, and she was teaching the little little bitty kids, and she was teaching on the cross, she was teaching them about Jesus going to the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, and that but she was saying that the reason Jesus could go to the cross and die for our sins is because Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus never sinned, and she says, you know... She asked the question about, you know, are any of you perfect? And quite a few said, Yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm a good person, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm good. And she was trying to help them to see in a loving way, no, you're not, you're, you're in need of a savior. Sometimes it can be hard uh, growing up and, and, and hearing God's word and being faithful to hear that. Sometimes it's hard for. for People to see themselves as the sinners that they really are. But beloved, we're all sinners. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of of salvation. But don't misunderstand me to be teaching that we don't need to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord. We do. We have that responsibility to teach them the gospel, to teach them the word of God, to pray for them, to, to have them here to hear the gospel and to hear the word of God, but, but understand, beloved, that if someone grows up and thinks because I came from a good godly family that, that brought me to church and taught me the word of God, that somehow, way, because of that, that helps me to earn some kind of status with God, it doesn't. It contributes nothing in that regard. And maybe for some of you here today, that may even be some good news to you because maybe you grew up and you didn't grow up in a godly home. Maybe your, your parents weren't even Christians. You didn't grow up in church. You didn't grow up really with the Bible. You didn't grow up with any of that. Well, please understand, beloved, understand that that doesn't matter with God. God. Your standing with God here today this morning has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is this. Do you recognize your sinfulness? Do you recognize your hopelessness? Do you recognize that your only hope is to put all of your trust in Jesus Christ who went to the cross as that perfect sacrifice without sin and he died on that cross taking the wrath of God upon himself? Are you willing to put your faith, are you willing to repent of your sins and turn and put your faith in him Him trusting in that life, trusting in His death, trusting in His resurrection. It is those who go crying out to God for mercy on the basis of the cross of Christ. Those are the ones that are accepted by God. Those are the ones that God says are justified in my sight. Salvation doesn't come because of our rearing. But secondly, let's go back to our text in verse 5. And notice also, salvation doesn't come to someone because of their race. Paul says, I was put in confidence in the fact that I was of the nation of Israel. That I was born a Jew. Brother, please understand. God's word clearly teaches that no race is above another race. No race is especially cursed over another race. No matter what a race a person is, remember this, they're all in one person, that is, they're all in Adam. And if we're all in Adam, the Bible tells us that through one man, that is, through Adam, sin entered the world, and sin spread to all of mankind. And death spread to all of mankind. Is there a race on the face of the earth that doesn't die? No, why is that? Because sin has entered all of them. Sin is a part of all the races. So we're all in Adam, thus we're all in need of a Savior. We're all, we all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. We're all under sin. We're all under wrath. We're all naturally children of wrath. As the book of Romans tells us, whether you're, you're a Greek or you're a Jew, And that covers everybody. If you're a Gentile or you're a Jew, it says you're all under sin. Which means we're all unrighteous. We're all not good. We're all separated from God. And also, beloved, if you truly believe what the Bible teaches, go back to the book of Genesis and what happens. Remember the flood? The flood wipes out the whole population of the world except for one family. Which means we all come from one family. We all come from the family of Noah. He had the three sons, and the three sons come out of the ark, and they spread, and they begin to populate the world, and you see that taking place there in the book of Genesis. We're all in need of a Savior. Now let me just speak for a moment about the Jewish people. They are God's special people. They are God's chosen people in that sense. And there is a future for them. I do truly believe, as the book of Romans teaches us, that all of Israel one day, of those that will be alive at that time, will be be saved. And it is true that God did choose Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. And it is true, as the Bible teaches, that salvation is of the Jews. And there is a specialness in that regard. In fact, just for a moment, if you will, turn over to the book of Romans and go to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3. Remember, we read the last two verses together last Sunday when we were talking about this idea of being a part of the true circumcision. Then the true circumcision, we're talking about a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. That is where a person is born again by the Spirit of God. At the last two verses of chapter 2 in Romans, where Paul says, look, just because you're a Jew on the outside doesn't mean you're a Jew on the inside. That is, unless your heart has been circumcised. And so he understands that if he just makes that statement in verse 28 and 29, that he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praises not from men, but from God. Paul knows, after explaining that, that here comes the next question. What's the next question that's going to be asked, especially of the Jewish people? Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? And Paul says, or what is the benefit of circumcision? And he says, well, it's great in every respect. First of all, if they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then if some did not believe? Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. You see, there is a specialist that is there that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Not only that, if you stay in the book of Romans, go over to Romans chapter 9 for a moment. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren that is his Jewish brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites and notice what he's saying about them to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according According to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. All these wonderful blessings that were given to the, the Jewish people. But don't misunderstand that to mean that they weren't in need of spiritual salvation they were. In fact, if they weren't in need of spiritual salvation, why in the world, when you read there in verse 3, would Paul, in verse 2, Paul would be saying, I have a great soul. I have unceasing grief in my heart about them. I mean, if their standing with God was okay, he wouldn't have that kind of grief. He wouldn't be saying, I wish I myself were accursed, separated for Christ for the sake of my brethren, so that they would be actually joined to Christ. Or as he says over in Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that's talking about Israel, is for their salvation, their spiritual salvation. He goes on to describe that, talking about that, that right now, For the most part, there are blinders that are over their eyes. They don't see and understand as they should. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when some of the Jewish leaders came out to him to be baptized? And he wouldn't baptize them. And he started telling them, the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. It's at the root of the tree. And what he was saying is, and that tree was representing Israel, and he's saying, God's fixing to chop it down. And, of course, he knew what their response to that would be. He'd say, said, no, what are you talking about? We're the children of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. And he says to them, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Don't depend. See, this was what was common in that day. They were depending on the fact, I am a physical child of Abraham. I'm of the nation of Israel. And because of that, I am right in the sight of God. I am justified in the sight of God. And you know what they forgot? They didn't really go, they need to just go back and just read their Bible once again. When was it that God declared Abraham righteous and justified in his sight? Before he was circumcised or after? Before. It had nothing to do with it. Being in the nation of Israel had nothing to do with it in that regard. They still needed to see their sinfulness. Beloved, it has nothing to do with anyone's race. And we know that, beloved, the Bible clearly teaches us also in the book of of Revelation, when it opens up the heavens and it allows the Apostle John to see a wonderful vision of heaven and what's going on in there. And when he looks in there, what does he see? He sees people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that's there at the throne of God worshiping him, which means those people are saved. Those people are saved. It has nothing to do with a person's race. It has nothing to do with a person's rearing by their parents. Thirdly, let's go back to our text. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says one of the other things he was counting on was not just that he was of the nation of Israel, but that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And how we should apply that today is salvation doesn't come to anyone because of their rank. Because of their rank. You see, the tribe of Benjamin was one of the more distinguished tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you think about the tribe of Benjamin, think about obviously Benjamin himself. He was one of the two sons that was born to Jacob through his wife Rachel. He was born in the promised land Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, when they allotted the land, that city was a part of the territory of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the two tribes that when the tribes decided to split off, they remained loyal. Paul here, mentioning the, the tribe of Benjamin and that he was depending on this, was saying, I was depending on somehow, some way, my rank in the nation, my rank in society, and brother, please, I, I beg you, if, that's, if you are depending in some way on your rank, your status in society, or even your rank in the church, your family's rank in the church, the family that you've come from, that somehow, some way, that contributes something to your salvation, to your acceptance with God, please, it doesn't. God doesn't look at that. The Bible says, in that sense, there's no partiality with God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says that those that God is calling, those that God is saving, are those that are the weak, the base, the simple, to put to shame the, the somebodies. God, say, God saving of Paul had nothing to do with the fact that he came from a very religious family. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was, came from a home that was following the word of God in certain circumstances. and had nothing to do with the fact that he was born of the nation of Israel. But also, let's move on to the next one that Paul looks at. Salvation doesn't come to someone because of their rituals. Because of their rituals. Notice what he says here. He says, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What does he mean by that? Well, in the day and time which Paul lived some of the Jews were becoming what they called Hellenized. That is, they were letting the culture of the day come in and influence their life. And a lot of times for the worse. And Paul is saying, look, I kept the rituals. I stayed true, if you want to say, to my ancestral traditions. I stay true to my family traditions. I stay true to my religious traditions. I stay true to all those things. I didn't allow the culture to come in. And don't get me wrong, beloved. We don't need to be shaped by the culture. Not our church, not our life, not our home. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But you can't then think somehow, some way, by doing that, that it's somehow allowing you to be acceptable by God. It has no bearing on that. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 1.14 that he was extremely zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. I mean, he was zealous about this. That he wanted to follow it. In fact, if you remember, over in the book of Acts, one of the things that got the attention of the people is that in Acts chapter 21 and verse 40, When he began to speak to the crowd and needed the crowd to get quiet, the thing that quieted them is that Paul was able to speak to them in Hebrew. And when he was able to speak to them in Hebrew, all of a sudden they stopped and they started listening. Paul was a man that was very passionate about the rituals and the traditions that he had been brought up on. And not that they were all necessarily bad. I'm not saying that, but, but what he was doing is, he was saying, because I'm remaining faithful to my rituals, this is somehow allowing me to earn credit with God. And the more I do that, the more credit I get with God, and I know in the end God's going to accept me. And what Paul realized on that road to Damascus, whenever he met the Lord Jesus Christ that day, he realized that all that that he had been counting on, including his rituals, were actually hurting him in the sense of if he was depending on them for his salvation in any way, he had to abandon all of that. He had to walk away from it. And For us in our day and time, beloved, a person can stay strong and faithful in church traditions, family traditions, denominational traditions, but none of that contributes one ounce, one speck of worthiness in our acceptance with God. I would say we have to be careful about these things here where we live. Where if we stay true to these things that somehow God is accepting of us when He's not. Let's go back to Philippians three and let's look at a fifth category of trusting in the flesh that God does not have any regard for in regards to us being right with him and that is I call it record keeping Paul not only says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews he says as to the law he was a Pharisee salvation doesn't come to anyone because of their record keeping because of their keeping of the law As I said, Paul says here he was a Pharisee. In Acts 23, verse 6, Paul seems to indicate that he was a son of a Pharisee. Let's just think about this for a moment. Go over to uh, Acts chapter 26 for a moment. Go over to Acts chapter 26. This is one of the advantages. We get to go back and look and see what Paul said about himself at times. In Acts chapter 26. If you want to know something about the manner of life that Paul was living before he was saved, look at verse 4, Acts 26, verse 4. He says, So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. They know what I was doing, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. I mean, this was a man that was sold out for his Jewishness. He was sold out for his nation. He was there, a part of his nation, a part of Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. I mean, Paul was of the strictest sect of his religion and he was the strictest of the strict. I mean, Paul was working hard If you look over in chapter 22 of Acts, he says, again, speaking about his life, this is where he's speaking in the Hebrew dialect. In verse 2, and they become even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that is, in the city of Jerusalem. He was educated under Gamaliel, This was at that time the most prominent conservative rabbi of the time. And Paul had been sent by his family to go and be educated and to study under this man. So Paul had been taught. I mean, he had been drilled in Paul. He says, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. You want to know why it is? We're going to see it in a moment that Paul was persecuting the church the way he was. It's because he was so passionate about following the law and what he thought was the truth. He was a record keeper. Now the problem is when we get into being record keepers we don't keep accurate records because we don't keep it by the right standards. You see, Paul was trying to keep it by these outward standards that they had developed. And you remember, that's what Paul says when you get over in the book of Romans as though he thought he could keep the law until he came to the the one that says, I cannot covet. And when he says, I cannot covet, it began to approach him on the inside and he realized, I can't keep it. I can't do it. And the law was just killing him time and again. Paul, look look for just a moment. Go over to the book of Galatians for just a moment. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Verse 13. Again, we're thinking about Paul's manner of life before he was saved. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life, in Judaism. See, he was, he was deep in it. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. Among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. There he is. He is committed to his rituals. He is committed to record keeping. He is committed to Judaism. He is advancing beyond any of his contemporaries. This man is sold out. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. Brother, what we would understand with that today is this. The record keeper is someone who is today trying to even sometimes work faithfully in and through the church so as to somehow have God accept them. It can be sometimes someone who is just trying to live their life by the Ten Commandments. Someone who may be just trying to live their life by the golden rule. And in trying to do all these things, and trying to do them in their mind somewhat fairly well, that because of that, God will accept them. I recall a story that Pastor MacArthur has told. It happened many years ago. Now of him being on on an airplane. And he was sitting next to a Muslim man and he had his Bible out and was just reading his Bible and doing some notes and doing some work on the plane. And the Muslim man noticed, obviously, he was sitting there with the Bible out and began to ask him some questions and and got in a gospel conversation. And in the conversation, Pastor MacArthur asked him about his standing with God. And he said, well, I I hope, I, I hope that God will accept me. He says, but, you know, I'm on my way to see my girlfriend now to engage in sin. But I I hope, I hope God will accept me. And the man was shocked by the next thing that Pastor MacArthur said to him. He says, well, I know God personally and he's not going to accept you. He's not going to accept you based on what it is you're depending on. He will accept you only based on what his son Jesus did. And you've got to repent of all that. And you've got to put your faith. Trying to do some kind of record-keeping, beloved. Number one, what you're going to see the next time we come together and we look at the the rest of this testimony of Paul, what you're going to see is that all those things that Paul thought he was writing in his asset column. Here he is, he he has a spiritual accounting ledger with God. And all those he thought, these are assets for me. When he finally met Jesus, he realized every one of those God had written down in the liability column. He had nothing over there. All the record keeping we try to do, we realize we can't meet the standard that God has. But Jesus Christ did. And because Jesus Christ did, those who put their faith in him have what he did credited to them. And you're accepted by God. Salvation doesn't come because of record keeping. Let's move on. Let's look at the the last one here, or the next to last one. Salvation also doesn't come because of your religiosity. You say, what is that? When he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. We just read a moment ago that Paul says, I was zealous for God. I had a zeal for God. I had a passion for God. I was a very religious person. I was advancing in Judaism far beyond all of my contemporaries. We could go back and read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, all the ways that Paul was persecuting the church. He was doing that, beloved, out of his zeal for God. He was sincere, he was religious, he was passionate for God, but the problem is his zeal and his passion for God were in ignorance. They were misguided. That's what he says over in Romans chapter 10 about his Jewish brethren. He says, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that God will save them because they have a zeal for God that is based on ignorance because they think that they can somehow establish their own standing, their own righteousness with God and they can't. And they keep trying it over and over and over again. And Paul could understand that because that was him before he was saved. Remember what we read a moment ago in Galatians 1.13? That he persecuted the church beyond measure. He tried to, he says, destroy it. See, Paul wasn't just wanting the church to go over here in their little corner and get quiet. No, he wanted to get them out of the corner, bring them out in the public, beat them half to death, do whatever it had to so that they would blaspheme Jesus and walk away from it. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wanted Christianity to be wiped off the face of the earth. And he, but he would say, I was a passionate religious man and I was sincere. And I I make that statement because we hear a lot today that that some will say, well, all that matters is that the person is sincere, are they getting involved, they're religious, they're do-. it, it does matter. People can be sincerely wrong, passionately misguided, zealously ignorant. Paul understood that. And so, brother, we have to make sure, look, there are, there are people today that are caught up in counterfeit Christianity. That are, they're more zealous than probably we are. They are more passionate about it than we are. In fact, I would say this. I imagine how many of you uh, are going to sign up like the Mormons and going to go on a two or three year hiatus and just go and just serve. That I mean that takes zeal. That takes passion, but it's misguided. It's a part of counterfeit Christianity. Beloved, the zeal is not what God is looking for there. He's looking for a trust in Him and Him alone. Finally, salvation does not come because of your righteousness. It doesn't become because of your righteousness. Paul says there, As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. And Paul's not saying there he was sinless. Paul's just saying, Look, when it came to keeping the law, when it came to establishing your own, some type of righteousness and standing with God, I was far exceeding anyone else. I would be willing to put my record up against anybody else. But Paul found out that none of that counted with God. None of it does. But all of it counts with God and what Jesus did. His life counts perfectly. His death counts perfectly. It's all in Christ. And if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, all that's given to you. And you are a part of the family of God. Beloved, In true Christianity, no confidence is put in the flesh. No confidence is put in any of these things we've mentioned here this morning. So I ask you this morning, are you putting your confidence solely in Christ and in Christ alone? See, the good news is this, is that if you haven't been doing that, if you will repent of that and just put your faith totally in Jesus Christ alone, God forgives you. God cleanses you. You'll be a part of the true circumcision. We see this of a man right here in Paul who escaped it by God's grace and had the promise of eternal life with God because of it. And that promise will be for you as well if you will put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.